Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Yes, indeed. It is another Sunday morning in CCULN when we bring you Healthy Matters. Good morning to you, Dr. Hilden. Good morning, Denny. How are you doing this morning? Doing really well, as a matter of fact. I, I was looking at, when I went downstairs to grab a cup of coffee, I uh, see the windows steamed up, and I looked at the uh, forecast, and I thought, all this week it's going to be hot. I mean, it's, it really is state fair weather, even though we won't be there. Uh, but it's, it's uh, really humid. I don't know if you've stepped outside yet this morning. Well, I haven't yet this morning, and, and you know, I think you know what I think. I'll do. I think I'll stay home for the whole week. You know, isn't that what? Isn't that kind of what we do? Now? I think I think you should do. No, uh, I do. Kind of. It is. It is. I think going to be state fair weather, and um, sadly, we're not going to be able to to hang out uh, right next to the cookie place and uh, across from the giant slide and chat with all of chat in person at least with all of our great uh, WCCO listeners. But we will be doing shows anyway. We're going to be doing yeah. them you know, remotely like we are now. Uh, we just won't be at the fair this year, but we'll be together in spirit. Normally, I would see you walk up to the State Fair uh, Broadcast Center with a bag of mini donuts. Uh, you're indeed. going to have to get those on your own, I guess. <laughs> I know. Indeed, I did. I had a ritual uh, um, of, of the State Fair. You know, I would take, uh, you know, I would drive up in the Mini Cooper and I would park on Como because you could park on the street because nobody is there yet. I would enter over on the west side of the fair by all the barns and for the first 10 minutes of my stroll through the fairgrounds, it's me and the horses and the goats and all the uh, people from greater Minnesota and then I would show up with my coffee and mini donuts to the WCCO booth and, and next year. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll do that do next that. year. Absolutely. We are going to do a fate, state fair themed show. Uh, we're doing at the hospital at Hennepin Healthcare because people are sort of, you know, down because it's been not much fun we've been able to have lately. Yeah. There's coronavirus and all that. We're doing a lot of state fair themed things at the fair. We've got all the executives of the hospital doing seed art. <laughs> and uh, we're doing um, we're going to do uh, have uh, employees of the hospital submit their health questions uh, to us on the show here in advance. And we're going to try to see how many of them can do a state fair themed health question. And we'll give out prizes to employees. That's next stuff. week, so right? That's just next week and the following week. And the following. Outstanding. Well, what's uh, what's on the show today? What's on the agenda? We are going to talk about critical care in covid and what I mean by that, you know, we hear a lot about the ICU. We hear about, oh, ventilators. We hear about, you know, life support systems. And what does that all mean? Well, at Hennepin Healthcare, we have one of the most outstanding critical care departments, I'd say, in the whole region. Um, we have expertise like you would not believe. And so today I've got Dr. Matt Precker on the phone. Um, Dr. Precker, uh, it's good to have you on the show this morning. Thanks for being out here uh, bright and early. Yeah, good morning, David and Denny. It's great to be here. 
good to have you, Matt. So, um, uh, both uh, uh, Matt Precker um, and uh, another great doctor by the name of Precker, Dr. Francis Precker, work at Hennepin Healthcare. They happen to be uh, married to each other. But we've got uh, we've got Matt Precker, who is um, Matt. I think you're like quintuple boarded. And for listeners, what I mean by that is that he's board certified in a number of specialties. And Matt, tell us tell us about how you got to where you are. What do you do? And what are all these specialties I'm talking about? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I, I'm glad you mentioned my wife, Fran, because she really deserves all the credit and uh, keeping bread on the table while I was doing these years of training. So yeah, I, I think um, you were in training for about 32 years. It was a long time. Yeah, yeah. There were many presidents. Um, so, uh, you know, I went to medical school at the University of Minnesota. I'm, I grew up uh, in northeast Minneapolis, and I was lucky enough to stay for medical school. And I did a public health degree for a year after medical school, just getting some additional training in research methods and epidemiology. And then um, I was fortunate to actually come to you um, at uh, Hennepin Healthcare, and I trained in my residency at HCMC. And it was 2006. It was actually a year that Hennepin Healthcare started this unique residency where it combined internal medicine and emergency medicine. So in five years of training there uh, downtown, I was uh, received training in both of those specialties and um and became boarded and then you know i wasn't done there so i meeting the you mentioned our um pulmonary and critical care division i these were some of my mentors in training and it really attracted me to their practice and and what uh intensive care medicine is all about so i went on and did a pulmonary critical care fellowship for three years after my residency and fran and i decided to pull up roots and take the family to seattle washington for that training so i was at the university of washington and had a um really excellent training out there. And then as the stars aligned and timing worked out, there was a position available back at Hennepin. So I came back to Minnesota and uh, been there ever since. I think it's been nearly seven years now. And um, it's truly my dream job. You know, this is something that not a lot of people get to do, but I split my time um, evenly between the emergency department, where I actually was last night, um, and the uh, pulmonary and critical care division. So I do um, the medical ICU as an attending physician, and I do some pulmonary consults as well. And up until recently, I had a pulmonary clinic um, and some other responsibilities around the hospital too. But it's a job that I am just thrilled to come to work each day and um, really get a lot of satisfaction out of out of the things we do at Hennepin. That's terrific. That is an, an awfully impressive um, pathway you've had to where you are. So you work in the emergency department. Do you like admit somebody to the ICU and then you just follow them up on the elevator and serve as their doctor up there too? <laughs> It's, it happens sometimes, yeah, infrequently, but, um, you know, we're a, a hospital where communication is really um, easy and outstanding, and so the patients I do see in emergency, I really want to know what happens and what uh, what my upstairs colleagues are doing, so there's a lot of follow-up and a lot of conversation. Absolutely. So, um, Matt, we've got, um, we're going to take a break, and, and then we're going to talk a lot more about what happens in the ICU, particularly with patients with COVID. I want to just give a very brief introduction to listeners about the ECMO program. We are going to talk about ECMO, and in 60 seconds before the break, Matt, can you explain what ECMO is? We're going to talk a lot more after the break, obviously. Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, when um, the real critical organs to sustaining your life, the heart and the lungs, when they get sick and really fail to do their work, uh, ECMO is a machine we can um, uh, attach to people that really does the work of the lungs and sometimes the heart uh, outside of the body. 
Um, so it's kind of like a heart-lung bypass machine like is used in the operating room for open-heart surgery, but we can bring that technology to the ICU and use it when uh, the heart and lungs fail and when our ventilators are not no longer able to do their job. Thank you, Matt. We're talking to Dr. Matt Precker, uh, intensivist in the ICU and emergency physician. We're going to be talking about critical care during COVID, including the ECMO program, after this break. Very good. And uh, we'll take this break and invite our listeners to join in, certainly, in the conversation. There are two ways to do that. Uh, you can call in your question or you can send a text. Same number applies, 612, uh, rather 651. Both will work, 989-9226, 651-989-9226. And we'll head to this break. Be right back on the other side with more Healthy Matters here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters this Sunday morning. Here once again is Dr. David Hilden. Thank you, Denny. I have Dr. Matt Precker on the line. He's an intensivist and an emergency medicine physician at Hennepin. Um, Matt, could you tell us what's the current state of the ICUs, not only at Hennepin, but your understanding of the region? Are we full? Are we busy? Do we have room for people? What's Give us a status update if you could. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, things look much better now in August than they did back in um April, May, and June for us in Minnesota and around the region. The ICUs are still very busy, and uh, ICU medicine is really a seasonal business in that um, there are different flavors of diseases that we see in the winter versus the summer. This year has been a little different in that we still have um, very critically ill patients with coronavirus infection in our ICU, but now those are the minority of patients that I'm taking care of, um, yet we have our usual summer business and, and illnesses we need to take care of uh, coming into play now, too. So it's still very busy. Um, many hospitals are still running quite full, um, if not near capacity, um, but the um, the sort of monotony or um, you know, homogeneity of having only folks with pneumonia due to coronavirus or nearly only that is um, is something so far in the rearview mirror. Um, we don't have uh, real shortages of, of any critical devices or medicines right now. Um, but I would say our wonderful nursing staff, uh, healthcare assistants, and certainly our doctors are still working quite hard um, in very busy ICU times. Matt, are you worried at all about this fall with influenza? Yeah, that's a great question. I've been talking with colleagues a lot about that, not only at Hennepin, but uh, around the cities. And it's a big unknown um, what's going to happen as we get into our typical influenza season come November. Um, I am worried based on what's happened around the country and some of the uh, data we're tracking in Minnesota that the number of cases are, you know, have lately been on an upswing. Um, that hasn't so far translated into um, more critically ill patients, uh, at least many more. So we have not had a second wave or a, another surge yet, but we're all sort of bracing for that. I think we're prepared now. We're much more comfortable with the natural history and the course of this disease and what we need to do to try to help improve uh, outcomes and recovery. But, um, yeah, I think it could be a very, very busy winter um, for everyone, and that puts stress on uh, and healthcare workers and their families and everybody in the community. Yeah, it does. Um, talk to us um, from an insider's perspective about w- what does the course of coronavirus infection, COVID, look like in the ICU? So a patient comes up to you, presumably because they're not doing well from a respiratory standpoint. Can you kind of talk us through what that looks like when coronavirus infection gets really serious, including when do you put people on ventilators? Yeah, sure. Um, 
And this is an area of practice that you and I collaborate a lot, David, and your hospitalist group uh, at our hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, people typically will come into the hospital when they feel short of breath and um, have other, you know, symptoms that really mimic something like influenza. And we may find that their oxygen level is low. And we've seen some quite low levels um, in patients that are awake and talking to us. And that's a, something that's been a bit unusual about coronavirus. But in any case, the those oxygen levels and numbers generally respond to oxygen just administered via the nose. Um, your listeners may know people on oxygen at home, for example, by nasal cannula, where they may be using two or three liters a minute of oxygen flow just to keep their um, to help their lungs, you know, day by day. But in coronavirus, we're really starting with oxygen flows. Really, I would say four to six, maybe even ten liters a minute by the nose or mouth. Uh, people are still awake; they're in a hospital room and and as you know, um, anywhere from a day to maybe seven days into their course of treatment for this pneumonia, the, some people do worsen. And we find that despite that standard flow oxygen, they're, we're not able to support them adequately. So uh, we have other tools we use in ICU and in our intermediate care units where we can deliver a higher flow of oxygen, um, sometimes even add some pressure with that oxygen to help keep the lungs aerated and open. Those are all done non-invasively where patients are awake, talking, eating. Um, and it's, you know, a good thing when people respond to those treatments, but there are certainly patients that don't. And those are patients that need to go on the ventilator. And to be on a ventilator, that's an invasive piece of life support equipment where um, we in ICU and Certainly, if you come to the hospital in very critical condition, this procedure will be done right away, but you need to be intubated to be in a ventilator. So that's a procedure where we administer very fast-acting sedative or sleeping medications and a medicine following that to relax the muscles. Um, Then we place a plastic breathing tube through the mouth into the windpipe and into the lungs. And through that that, uh, endotracheal tube, we can hook up a ventilator and we can basically take over the function of the lungs for a patient with a machine that's really like a, a big piston or a big pump, and it can deliver whatever volume of air I want into that patient's chest uh, with each breath. And the ventilator then gives a lot of feedback about how what's the condition of the lungs at that moment. Uh, are the lungs becoming um, filling with fluid? Are they becoming stiff? Or are they recovering? And those are the things we monitor on patients on a ventilator um, each day. And, you know, it's important to point out that a ventilator is a very important piece of life support equipment. It's something that's ubiquitous and that we use every day in the ICU. Um, but it's not generally um, therapeutic in that it supports patients. It gets them enough oxygen, but it's not a cure for the coronavirus. So we still need to continue our work studying new treatments and really understanding this disease if we can accelerate recovery. Matt, you know, that's a good point because early in the virus, there was a lot of talk about ventilators and we need more ventilators. And indeed, they are a life support um, a mechanism and it's a tool we have to support patients. But I think there was a conception that no matter what, if you got on a ventilator, you survived. And if you didn't get a ventilator, you didn't. And that isn't the case. It's not a cure. It's just a method to support people, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, we've looked back uh, real carefully at our experience. Um, at HCMC with coronavirus. And it's very similar to reports that are coming out from places like uh, Emory University in Georgia or uh, the San Francisco area. Our colleagues around the country are also seeing this, but with our best ventilator support and um, and critical care therapies, our experience has still been that our um, mortality rate, the per- proportion of patients that 
unfortunately die in the hospital of this disease in the ICU on a ventilator with this this syndrome that develops from coronavirus uh, called acute respiratory distress syndrome. So these are really the sickest patients with coronavirus. We're still seeing about a third of those patients not make it and pass away in the hospital. So this is a, a sobering and a very severe disease at its worst. And it's something that's, um, you know, kept us very humble and very uh, respectful of the damages can do to the lungs. We're talking to Dr. Matt Precker, an, an intensive care physician and pulmonologist and an emergency doctor at Hennepin Healthcare, um, otherwise known to many of you as HCMC in downtown Minneapolis, where we have cared for, if not the most coronavirus patients, we're at least the first or the second hospital in the state of Minnesota in terms of number of coronavirus patients. After the break, we're going to be talking about the, the ECMO program. And most of you out there won't know what ECMO is because, heck, I didn't even know what it was after going to medical school. And so uh, there are 18 programs in the United States that have received a platinum-level um, distinction for their ECMO program. Hennepin Healthcare is one of those 18 programs in the entire nation. And Dr. Precker is the director of our ECMO program. It is life support for people with a variety of conditions, including coronavirus. We're going to be talking about that after the break, Denny. Very good. And, of course, inviting our listeners to join in. If you have a question or a comment, you'd like to call in or send a text, 651-989-9226. Same number applies to both the phone call and the text questions. And we'll take this break. We'll have a look at that forecast, too, straight ahead here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And let's get back to our Healthy Matters show this Sunday morning. Here once again is your host, Dr. David Hilden. Thank you, Denny. We're talking to Dr. Matt Precker, intensivist at Hennepin Healthcare. And um, Dr. Precker, tell us a little bit about ECMO. Now, we started the show just giving a little teaser about what it is, but the letters are E-C-M-O. Could you tell us about what that is? Yeah, this is something I get quite excited talking about, and I appreciate any chance to do it. So um, ECMO is a, um, a rescue method of life support where, uh, like we talked about before, in this situation, we're talking about coronavirus and that can attack the lungs. We have to put the uh, patients with the worst pneumonia, the sickest patients on ventilators and ventilators get majority of patients through a coronavirus illness and they can recover. Um, but there are those select few who the inflammation and the damage in the lungs continues to march on. So we need to add an additional layer of life support. And currently they're really the only one available to us uh, for very select patients is this uh, technology called ECMO. And the um, acronym stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. And if we just break that down, extracorporeal means outside of the body. And membrane oxygenation really refers to um, doing the job of the lungs uh, with a very thin, very strong membrane, where on one side of that membrane, we put the patient's blood, and the other side, we put um, oxygen, essentially. And so just by diffusion, oxygen goes across that membrane into the blood. Carbon dioxide, like it should via the lungs, leaves the blood into the air and um, and blood and, and air never really touch each other. And so that happens in a, in a machine that's about the size of a oh, computer printer um, neck that's kept on a cart next to the patient um, and it happens 24-7 after we deploy that support. Um, this ECMO machine um, is really amazing technology, and our patients have really benefited from improvements in, in that technology over the last five or 10 years. Um, we connect that ECMO circuit, that machine, to a patient via two large tubes, and one of those tubes is placed into a large vein in their body, either in the neck or the groin. 
Um, and that tube drains blood out of the body and brings it to the membrane oxygenator. And then the second tube obviously is on the other end of that circuit and it returns blood from the oxygenator, blood that's bright red, that has plenty of oxygen, returns that to the patient um, also via a large vein. And again, it forms a loop or a circuit in that fashion and is sort of like um, your listeners will be familiar with dialysis, I think, and dialysis, again, being a outside the body treatment to support and replace the function of the kidneys. This is almost like uh, lung dialysis or respiratory dialysis, uh, where we're cleaning the blood, we're adding oxygen, removing carbon dioxide outside the body so we can um, turn down the uh, intensity of the ventilator and not continue to damage already injured lungs. So people are on this machine for a day, a week, a month? How long? Yeah, when we get to the point of considering ECMO and if someone qualifies and meets the criteria, we find that ECMO is used um, for respiratory diseases, really pneumonia of any kind, for generally a week. Our average time at Hennepin Healthcare is eight days. Now, the coronavirus pandemic has changed that calculus a little bit. We're needing to use ECMO for longer. So our average run, our average treatment time on ECMO has been between two and three weeks at our institution. And um, it's amazing to say, but our longest uh, course of uh, ECMO just happened this summer in an adult uh, with failing lungs, and that was 51 days. So someone was on uh, nearly two months on this, this support. And just so you can picture it, you know, these are folks in the ICU who uh, are bed bound. They're kept deeply asleep, basically uh, comatose with our sedative medicines because um, their bodies have such critical oxygen levels. They're on a ventilator still. We continue that, but we turn those settings way down and then they have an ECMO machine in the room as well. So it's quite a, a collection of pumps and, um, and devices trying to, to sustain their body. And and that patient on for 51 days, I'm very happy to say, is recovered and is uh, back home now. So it can be really an amazing um, thing to watch. When I was doing my medical training in the last, I don't know, 15 years, I don't recall us doing this. Your program has been around for a few years. I know that. It's not the first year you've done this. You've done this for several years, but it's it wasn't around two decades ago. I I understand that this isn't something available everywhere, but can you tell tell us about how if a if a person listening to this um, were were to have a family member um, gravely ill, how does one where where is this done? Is this just at a few places? Is it becoming widespread? Tell us yeah. a little bit about the availability of ECMO. Yeah, it is truly a scarce resource. You know, I'll give you an example. Um, at our institution, we we have busy intensive care units at Hennepin Healthcare, and we um, provide mechanical ventilation. We have about um, 1,500 to 1,600 patients on a ventilator each year uh, at our hospital. And our annual volume of ECMO cases, patients we select who are, you know, truly the sickest of the sick for this extra layer of life support to try to rescue them and save their life. It's about 35, 30 to 35 cases a year. So, you know, that proportion just illustrate how, um, how specialized this is and how you really need that expertise to do something very complicated that's not done uh, uh, certainly as much as we use ventilators. So right now there are four hospitals in the state of Minnesota that are adult ECMO centers. Unfortunately, we have great relationships and we actually communicate all the time. We've created an informal consortium to share knowledge about coronavirus and other indications for ECMO, about the, the technology we use, and just to share new ideas and quality improvement um, uh, interventions that can help us all. So those centers are uh, Hennepin Healthcare, the University of Minnesota, 
uh, Mayo Clinic and Abbott Northwestern Hospital. Uh, I'll do adult ECMO. So if you need ECMO in, uh, in Minnesota, you really need to be in the Twin Cities or Rochester physically. But we've fortunately, with the improvements in technology and how small and robust and efficient these ECMO circuits are, um, there are hospitals in the outstate area, certainly in St. Cloud and Duluth and along the Red River that are able to deploy ECMO. They can put a patient on ECMO and then they look to transfer that patient um, down to the Twin Cities, for example, uh, to an ECMO center for their, their management course. And so we've had a lot of success retrieving patients from um, our partner hospitals outstate uh, via helicopter or via uh, fixed wing aircraft and bringing them down to Hennepin Healthcare um, to continue their their treatment uh, a little farther away from home. Exactly. They land them right on the roof on the helipad. You know, I think listeners maybe should be reassured by a couple things you said. One, that you're doing this in the first place, but secondly, that you communicate with other hospitals. Sometimes we heard like in other parts of the country during some of the worst of it, you know, hospitals were, were, were I don't know how well the communication was going across every state. In Minnesota, you have colleagues that you are, they're not your enemies, they're your colleagues at the other hospitals, and you talk to each other, and you coordinate, and you coordinate throughout the state of Minnesota, all the way up to the Red River Valley up there on North Dakota to get the best care for patients. So I find that to be exceptionally reassuring, that when you're, when you're in the state of Minnesota, that the physicians and the care teams are working together to get you the best care, not only outside the hospital, but every time I go up into the ICU, I see Beth running around. You know, Beth's one of the nurses um, who helps, who works with you. And uh, tell us about the variety of, of, of people that have to work on your team. It's not just you. Yeah, that's a great point. I think the story about the, the, the people, the healthcare workers behind ECMO, what really makes it work is, is one of the amazing things about this. So um, we, have our my partners and I in pulmonary and critical care division are our hospitals ECMO experts. So if a patient's on ECMO at at our place, we're involved in their care, if not managing them primarily. Um, but we know minute to minute that people that do the hard work and and uh, the meticulous care are our ECMO nurses. And I'll just explain a minute what goes into this because these uh, these nurses are truly exceptional in what they're able to do. So their background is in intensive care nursing. They work in the medical or surgical ICU. We have a group of about 25 of these nurses who have gone through incredibly rigorous training to become ECMO specialists. Uh, so they're ICU nurses. They've been doing this a number of years. They're selected as really the best of the best. Um, they often have additional training. So these are nurses that are used to providing, say, continuous dialysis and running that machine while they manage the patient uh, and the ventilator and the the medications and everything that our nurses do. Uh, these nurses may be expert in post-operative care, say after cardiac surgery and how to take care of those type of patients. But anyway, they come into our program. We actually give them a written test. We interview them. We put them through um, over 100 hours of training each year, um, ongoing training, and we teach them all about ECMO. And they are really the caregivers for these patients. So our model, which I think works really well, is a patient um, – you know, declares themselves that they're a candidate and they need ECMO due to the severity of their illness. Uh, we as the physicians decide that, yes, that's what we should do. Uh, we place them on ECMO and then they uh, are in the ICU under the care of one of these ECMO specialists who, um, you know, 24-7 are with that patient. They provide all the nursing care. They're also the specialist in running the ECMO pump. So if something goes wrong, if there's clotting, air bubbles, if there's a kink in the tube, if there's bleeding, any of those emergencies, these nurses are trained to intervene immediately. Um, 
And they do that. They also, again, take care of any other equipment that's at the bedside, be it a dialysis machine or um, any other kind of uh, technology that's needed. So they're a team that I trust completely, and I give all the credit for the, the recognition and success our program's gotten lately. Um, and they're really these one-to-one, really exceptional caregivers um, and led by, you know, Beth Heather is our ECMO program coordinator, and, and I think one of the best in the country at that job. Yeah, I, I would concur with that. Thank you for that. It is true. And as I said earlier, if listeners missed it, there's only 18 programs in the country that are at this platinum level of their ECMO program, meaning somebody from outside the organization came and looked at the program. And, you know, there's bronze and there's gold and there's platinum, silver, gold, platinum. Platinum is this high level in one of 18 programs in the country. Hopefully there'll be a lot more at that level. But right now, Dr. Parker leads a group that is at the highest level. We're going to, um, I'm going to read one text message to you, then we're going to go to a break, and then we're going to uh, take listener uh, texts and calls after that. And the text message I'm going to read says this, our son spent 18 days on ECMO this spring at HCMC. We just wanted to send a huge thank you to Dr. Precker and his staff for saving his life. He's doing great. I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that. Yeah, that's really that's, wonderful. I, I, I echo that too. It's um, those kind of stories and feedback are what keep us going. So we're going to take a break, Danny, and then yep. we'll come back with listeners. Very good. And, and if you want to send in your text or phone call, same number, 651-989-9226. We'll take this break. Be back on the other side with more Healthy Matters here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And welcome back to Healthy Matters this Sunday morning. Here once again is your host, Dr. David Hilden. Danny, let's go to the text lines, sure. if you will. And Dr. Precker, I'm going to read you a couple of texts and try to get your responses to this. Here one, here's one that says, uh, what percentage of COVID-19 patients that have recovered have long-lasting issues with their heart and lungs? Yeah, that's a really important question. It's something we're learning more and more about, uh, you know, based on what comes out in the medical literature and based on our own experience. Uh, my partners are seeing follow-up uh, visits from patients who've recovered in the ICU from COVID in their clinics right now. So again, this is something we're talking about. Um, we know, you know, in ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome, those, those kind of uh, sickest of the pneumonia patients, um, the lungs can recover. And at six or 12 months after the illness, uh, lung function uh, can return to near normal levels. Um, we're also finding that's lagging a bit behind in coronavirus. So during my emergency department shifts, it's not uncommon for me to see a patient who, um, you know, has maybe not had that severe illness. They've been able to stay at home. They feel miserable, but they're going to be okay. And those symptoms may linger at two or four or even six weeks. Uh, a really dry cough is particularly uh, persistent. And then the other um, uh, issues in recovery, I think, are have to do with the brain. Um, we're seeing some uh, folks recover from coronavirus with um, some continued um, confusion, maybe some um, anxiety or depression. Those type of disturbances are uh, hopefully temporary, but we've seen those kind of things come in our patients. Um, and then, you know, just recovering from critical illness, if we shift to the sicker end of the patient spectrum again, um, being in the ICU is not a place you want to be if you can avoid it. Uh, what we really need to do to support these patients and get them through uh, their critical illness is um, keep them in bed, uh, despite the work of our physical therapists and others, their muscles do get weak. And um, there is a leg in recovery to function, returning to work and things after a critical illness. So those are all true in coronavirus as well. 
Matt, there's a, a a related question I would I would I would say, and this is from the text line. I'll read it to you. It says, "I'm 78 years old. Early in March, I had COVID-19 virus. So one of the very first people. The seventh night, I hallucinated. I did not expect to be awake in the morning. I've done fairly well, but my energy level has decreased considerably. I rest an hour after working around the house for just an hour. This person has the question: Can can you get it again? And should they be tested? Now, this person is five months out, an older adult, five months out from a COVID infection. Should they get tested again? Can you get it again? What do we know about that? Yeah, this uh, isn't an, certainly a rare scenario. We do get these kind of questions. Um, we will retest patients for coronavirus. You know, there's a couple of tests we have available. We, meaning physicians around the state, have available now. Uh, one of those is the test that we've had from the beginning, um, and that's this PCR test that tests for an acute infection. Uh, is there a coronavirus that's that's uh, growing and replicating within the body, meaning you're acutely sick from it? And then we also have the ability now to test for the immune system's response to coronavirus and test for antibodies. And there's a lot of buzz in the news and around the hospital about antibodies. This is something we're still learning a lot about. Um, but generally, people of all ages develop antibodies after fighting off that infection. And um, those the antibodies we can measure probably don't last in the body for a long time, but even the most recent data I've seen on this, even if you don't have measurable antibodies after a coronavirus infection, you're much less likely to get it again, certainly within that same year. Um, so I think there is some protective immunity. How much? I'm not sure. But I think if uh, symptoms return, certainly fever and respiratory symptoms, those kind of things, getting an evaluation by a doctor makes a lot of sense because there are other uh, explanations for that type of disease too. Here's the next one, Matt. It says, I have a sleep study tonight in outstate Minnesota. Should I go and expect to be safe or should I cancel? Yeah, um, good question. I, I think you absolutely should go. Um, I've This is an excellent point to bring up because um, all across the spectrum of medicine, we've seen our patients uh, a lot less this spring and summer. You know, people have been uh, especially in Minnesota, following the quarantine very strictly, doing a nice job at physical distancing and wearing masks and avoiding unnecessary contacts with healthcare as the pandemic was really peaking in, in late May and early June. Um, that also means that some chronic diseases and other things people need to maintain their health have been put on the back burner. And I think with the virus levels we see in the community now and with the safety measures hospitals and clinics have taken, it's absolutely time to come back and re-engage with your chronic health care with tests and procedures that needed to be put off. And it's safe to do that now, as long as you follow the recommendations of your providers and, and uh, you're wearing a mask as much as you can um, to protect those around you. So I think it's absolutely uh, appropriate to do that. And you can do it with really minimal risk. I'm going to try to get one more in. we got about 20 seconds or 30 seconds. Matt, the flu shot is now available at my clinic, but I've heard it's better to wait until later in September or early October. What do you recommend on the flu shot? Yeah, I think if in talking with your provider, if the flu shot's recommended, it is, it is not too early to get it. Uh, the earlier, the better in some sense. Your immunity will last through the winter. Um, and the more people we can get immunized early for influenza, what strains we think are coming, I think we can hopefully lessen the burden of, of influenza and hopefully coronavirus this winter. All right. We've been talking to Dr. Matt Precker, intensive care physician, emergency physician, and the director of our ECMO life support system at Hennepin Healthcare. Matt, the time goes all together too fast. Thanks for being with us this morning, though. Thank you very much.
All right. We're going to be back again next week with kind of a state fair theme show. So we hope you uh, join us uh, then for another edition of Healthy Matters here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Your money straight ahead. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.